Second Peter chapter two. We're going to jump in this morning, and I have a question. I have a question as we get started this morning. I just want to ask you: enslaved or free? This is a question I have for you this morning. Are you enslaved or are you free? And we've been going through Second Peter and we're going to jump in. I'm going to be reading the New King James. We're looking at three verses this morning, 17 through 19. And if you downloaded Spirit Speak, then you can be looking at that and you can open that up and you can use that as a study resource right now. Verse 17 in the New King James. These are wells without water, clouds or mists, Carried by a tempest, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped or barely escaping from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption or depravity. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage or slavery. Once again, we're addressing false teachers within the church, but I also just want to remind you that we've taken the position, I'm going to ask you to reapply this here again this morning, that we've taken the position that yes, Peter is talking about false teaching within the church, but I also want to challenge you to kind of expand that net and look at the false teaching of influencers in your life. Think about anybody that you allow to have influence over your thinking or your mind. I want you to expand this a little bit outside of just false teaching within the church. This directly applies, but I also think it's super important because a lot of you have prophets and priests and preachers in your life. That's the kind of power that they have over your thought process. You just don't give them those labels. So let me give you three quick characteristics to help you evaluate false teachers, false influencers, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. Number one, they're usually authoritarian in style. What do I mean by that? Ruling in a domineering fashion, they strongly denounce anyone who would question their authority or decision-making. I'm going to roll through these as much as I want to. going to go to number two. Minister in a humanistic manner. That means teaching that is catered to what they think people want to hear and experience. Often, they use their own visions or their own experiences as foundational truth that can easily promote a health, wealth, prosperity, and success focus. Number three, they mention and allude to, but seem to overlook the teachings of the Bible. Instead of biblical orthodox approach, it is overshadowed by a self-proclaiming approach or an interpretation that subtly becomes more important than Scripture. Think about it. We hear this all the time. New ways, better ideas, or more relevant, up-to-date version of truth. The church, big C in America, is inundated with these three things. And we need to be careful. 
And as we discussed last week, and I'm going to say it again, if you weren't here, one of the things that we focused on last week, and I'm going to say it again, we cannot be complacent. We cannot be a complacent individual or a complacent church. We must be intentional and put forth effort on our own and as a church family for the sake of the gospel. We have to guard, and not only that, we have to press in and we have to be more intentional and more passionate in our pursuit, and we have to address complacency like never before in our history. Now, I want you to know several things about me. If you've never spent any extended time with me, if we've never hung out together, then you're not going to know this about me. But as a leader in my home and as a leader in this church family, I want to tell you very straightforward. I have no need to be heard. I have no need to be seen. And I have no need to control anybody. I say this because what I just said to you is in stark contrast to the three characteristics I just shared with you. That's how I am trying to live my life. I'm not trying to force my way into anybody's life if you don't want me present. If you don't want me in your life, I'm not going to try to barge my way in. Matter of fact, some of you have experienced that. You push me out, and I stay out. I pray for you, but if you want to keep me at arm's distance, I'm cool with that. Because let me just tell you straightforward, at this point in my life, I am not looking for something to do. You get what I'm saying? I'm not looking for things to be involved in. So I want you to think about it. As a leader, I have no need to be heard, to be seen, or to control. That's not how we're trying to roll here. We want willing participants, people that want to press in. Now, let's jump back into the scripture. The metaphor relating to water would, be, would have been easy for them to understand coming from somebody living in the Middle East. Now, think about it. Wells, so you see a well, but the well does not offer or provide satisfaction to a parched tongue. You can, you can also just throw in the idea here of a mirage. You know, when you're in a desert arid area and you're being overtaken by heat exhaustion and you think you see a well, but there's no ability for your tongue to be parched. I'm, I'm told that in the Mediterranean region that it's not uncommon to have a moist mist or cloud cover move in to give one the impression that rainfall is imminent only to have the wind blow it on and there is actually no precipitation that takes place. Now, for some of you, you understand that some of the drought times that we had this summer in Virginia, some of the farmers, we got to experience some of the same thing. You would, you would see this move in and you would think, man, it, we're about to get rain. It would kind of feel moist and it would kind of drop in. And then all of a sudden the wind would blow and it would be gone and everything was just as dry, if not drier, than what it was before it moved in. This is the metaphor of what it's talking about here. It reminds me, I can't help but think about this water illustration, this moisture, this precipitation issue. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Man, I love being over here looking at you guys. That fires me up. That's good. 
I'm going to read from the New American Standard 95 edition. Now on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, you get the same thing? Here we are in 2 Peter, and Peter's using this metaphor, and this is the words of Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Man, I'm just telling you, huge difference. We're not talking about a well with no water and there's nothing to part you. He says, you come and you can drink from me. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. I'm just telling you right now, this is incredible because not only do we get to partake of Jesus, but there's something that takes place supernatural when we believe and when we drink that there is this well, there is this spring inside of us that just keeps on flowing. Now look at what it said. But this he spoke, he was making mention of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive futuristically for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Think about this. Free, living, satisfying, life-altering water that is available to anyone who would believe. I'm telling you right now, some of you, you've been drinking at all kinds of sources and it doesn't satisfy It doesn't quench your thirst. Jesus himself said, you want this living water you drink of me? Anyone that will believe. You say, oh, Pastor Jim, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done. Anyone who will believe. I don't know about you, but goodness gracious. Ooh, I got to contain myself. I want to just remind you again, beware of arrogant, vain, and self-focused teachers that are professing truths that are not what the triune God has proclaimed and already made known to us. There is a lot of new thought, new teaching, new revelation, the newest thing that is not based on Christianity and the teachings of Scripture. Now, I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 through 19 again to you. And this is what I want. Some of you... You're working through this because some of you have been brought up in a tradition where you only study study one version of the Bible. And here we celebrate different translations that are accurate translations because for a lot of you, here's the thing, you hear a specific word and it doesn't necessarily resonate. You read the same truth using a different English word and then all of a sudden you go, oh, is that what it's trying to say? So what we're trying to do is just celebrate different translations. So I'm hoping that as I read this in different translations, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 19 will grab you in a different way. The New Living Translation, these people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to black, blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For they are a slave, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. All the phrases are used in various translations address this same thing. People that will entice, 
based on sensual passions of the flesh. There's a pervasive sensuality about our day and our world that constantly bombards on every level. There is nothing new under the sun regarding our humanity, but the tools and methods of sensuality have expanded. Please hear me when I'm talking about this. Things have only increased. We live in an incredibly sensual world. The problem is, we're so bombarded and jaded by the sensuality that sometimes we're, a lot of times, we're not even aware of it because it's just so pervasive around us. Sensual ads for toothpaste. Sensual ads for toilet paper. Sensual ads for purchasing. I mean, and the list could go on and on and we're just so accustomed to it. And then what happens is we have leaders or influencers in our lives that are using a sensual desire-based approach to truth and we're not even aware of it because we're so inundated with it. I'm trying to address something this morning that we have to come to terms with. They were dealing with the same sex-driven, sensual, lustful desires back then that we are. But please hear me when I say this. Human nature has not changed, but the tools for the propagation of perversion have multiplied. When I was a kid, you had to work to put yourself in a situation to be exposed to sensual things. We are handing third graders an open book to sensual, perverted interaction, and most parents and grandparents don't teach, educate, and help with that sensual exposure. So what do we expect is going to happen? I'm not trying to condemn. I'm trying to open eyes to understanding of the challenges of the world that we live in. Because if we're going to fight complacency and mediocrity, we have to be passionate about these areas for the right reasons. The Greek word for slave or servants, think about one who gives himself up wholly to another's will. You can be enslaved against your will. It's a real thing. But most of what we're talking about this morning are the choices that we make and the submissive responses that we choose based on who we're going to submit to. The Greek says to make a slave of or reduce to bondage. And I want to say with this word bondage, there's nothing sexy or beautiful about the use of this Greek word. And some of you that have exposed your mind to garbage, you know exactly why I said what I said. Who and what do you want to control you? This is why we're here this morning. We believe in Jesus and we believe that Jesus has got something bigger for us than just our slugging human experience. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 19 again in a different version, the Amplified Bible. Think about this. These false teachers are springs without water and mist driven by a tempest for whom is reserved the gloom of black darkness for uttering arrogant words of vanity. In other words, pompous words 
disguised to sound scholarly or profound, but meaning nothing and containing no spiritual truth. They beguile and they lure using lustful desires by sensuality. Those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. They promise them liberty when they themselves are slaves of depravity. For by whatever anyone is defeated and overcome to that person or thing or philosophy or concept, he is continually enslaved. I can tell you this morning that I am not offering temporary false freedom through human philosophy. I'm talking this morning about genuine life-altering freedom that can only be attained through an intersection point with a holy God on a life by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. I offer you the Holy Spirit sent from the Holy Father because His Holy Son finished the work of salvation, forgiveness, and transformation on our behalf. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was unjustly murdered, got up out of the grave, and ascended to heaven so that the holy presence of heaven, the helper, would come to live in and with us. I'm about to read a passage and remind some of you, maybe some of you have never thought about John chapter 16 the way I'm about to read it to you, but I want to say this to you. A lot of you are like me. We talk about from an orthodox standpoint, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to sing about it in just a few minutes. Love the song. Love all the songs we've been singing. Powerful. I'm just telling you right now. You know why I'm proclaiming what I am? For breakthrough, like what we were singing earlier. Passionately singing. That's what I believe in for my own life. But here's what I want to say. Some of you, your background, I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is like this stepchild that's over here, this quote-unquote part of the family. I mean, because that's like, you know, there's some crazy junk that goes on with that stuff. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me tell you this real quick. had five people I was talking to this week. Only one in five was raised with a belief and an understanding that the Holy Spirit was an active, vibrant part of life that could be asked about questions, that could be pursued, that was actively involved in daily life and decision-making that could help. One in five. What does that say about this group? A lot of misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Presence of God that came here after Jesus went there. Let me read John chapter 16. I'm going to read in the Amplified Bible again. John 16, 5 through um, 15. But now I'm going to him who sent me. This is Jesus. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts and taken complete possession of them. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, to our advantage, Our advantage, their advantage, if I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the the strengthener, the standby will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you, 
to be in close fellowship with you. This is relationship. And he, when he comes, will convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need for a savior and about righteousness and about judgment, about sin and the true nature of it because they do not believe in me and my message about righteousness or personal integrity and godly character because I'm going to my father and you will no longer see me about judgment, the certainty of it, because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged and condemned. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear to hear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, full and complete truth. Do you believe this? Functionally. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but he will speak whatever he hears from the Father, the message regarding the Son, and he will disclose to you what is to come in the future. He will glorify and honor me because he, the Holy Spirit, will take from what is mine and he will disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine because of this I said that he, the Spirit, will take from what is mine and will reveal it to you. That's John chapter 16. I feel like that what we are pressing into and we're asking and what we're praying for and what we're seeking is just a greater understanding and a controlling and in in doing whatever word you want to put on it, but it not just individually, but as a church family, we would be yielded to the Holy Spirit and understand that there are great resources and power and miraculous things available to us if we will simply believe and press in and participate. It reminds me of John chapter 17. What did Jesus say? We call this chapter the high priestly prayer of our Savior and Lord Jesus, the Son of the living God. What does he say in verse 14 through 17? I'm going to read in the New King James. This is what Jesus' prayer. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Some of you, you're beginning to have relationship issues, and for good reason. Because you were pressing in and you were aligning yourself with Jesus. And guess what? You're getting pushback. What kind of pushback did our Savior get? Huge. They took his life, not because he sinned against anybody, but because he was on their sacred turf of their sin and their lies and their enslavement. And they didn't want anybody like Jesus flushing them out. It was the religious people. Think about the power of that. This is what he said. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them or set them apart. How? By your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified or made holy or set apart by the truth. Now, I want to mention Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I'd like for you to remind yourself of the whole chapter. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Romans chapter 6 directly addresses this whole issue of sin and struggle and enslavement and who we yield ourselves to. And then at the end of this glorious chapter, it's wrapped up with verse 23, which we all refer to, which is a great verse that we use for the Romans road that leads to salvation. This is a powerful, powerful chapter. I want you to think about it. 
the difference between enslavement and freedom in my own personal life has been yielding to the Holy Spirit. Asking, yielding, needing, relying on the Holy Spirit to create this supernatural love and focus in my life that naturally breaks the bondage or the enslavement of the sin in my life. Now, these are for your legs. These are for your hands. There might be some of you that you know exactly what this is. Don't flinch right now. Okay? This goes around your waist, especially for transport with somebody that's being kind. You put it around your waist, put your hands here. It's all wrapped together. You're locked in. Can't go anywhere. Those are around your feet. I'm talking very realistic this morning about enslavement or freedom. And I'm not talking about this morning. You can't, like I said earlier, you can have somebody enslave you. There's some terrible things that take place in this world. But I'm talking about internally. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm talking about emotionally. That what happens a lot of times is we make the choices and we put ourselves in a situation and we continue to go back into a situation where we enslave ourselves. And what we're talking about here this morning is that the Jesus that we're talking about, I'm not talking about a religious way. I'm not talking about us trying to clean ourselves up or self-help program. I'm talking about a supernatural experience to where that we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We lean, lean in and he begins to do things inside of us that we could never do for ourselves. But we got to come clean about our choices. Tell Pastor Tim, I, I, I don't want to be enslaved. Really? Really? Because if you don't want to be, you don't have to be. I'm telling you right now, you give yourself, you believe, you ask for the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God will reveal things to you and you can just begin to see things fall off. I'm not talking about instantaneously. I'm not talking about without any effort. I'm not talking about with, without any initiative or focus. We have to participate. But I'm talking about the spirit of the living God that is at work in this world, working in and through us and changing our hearts, changing our minds, changing our focus to where that something begins to stir inside of us. And there's something beautiful that takes place. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. What controls you? What takes dominion over you? And you can I tell you something? We all have struggles. Every one of us have this in common that there is something very powerful that's our besetting, our staggering, our thorn in the flesh, whatever we want to call it. But there is something that we will all have to battle until we die. I don't know what yours is. I know what mine is. I'm asking you in church, 
We need to be the kind of family where we're pursuing and living in freedom. That way we can genuinely, without hypocrisy, say to somebody else, no, you come and experience what I'm experiencing because the shackles and the bondage, I didn't do it. He did it for me and he can do it for you. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's no stone throwing. There's no pedestal to where you're looking down at somebody else. You're saying, hey, man, let me show you how to get the cuffs off. To whom or what are you passionately seeking in your life? The Holy Spirit this morning is offering you the key to freedom. Incredible freedom. Amazing freedom. I have to ask you one last thing. Is it sin in your life that you're passionately connected to? Or is it the Spirit of God? Do you believe that God's gift, the helper, the comforter, his holy presence, his spirit that he sent here when Jesus went up is for each and every one of us personally? I'm talking about unlocking a relational power inside of you that is of God, part of God, is God, and God in you. That's why we can sing this song without hypocrisy. I'm lifting up holy hands because my human hands are dirty, filthy, stinky, and nasty. But I can lift my hands because I've experienced a forgiveness and a righteousness and a holiness that's not mine. It's not for me, and I didn't earn it. So I can sing with freedom. That's what I'm offering you this morning. And Father, you do. You help us. Help us this morning. You do in us, in all of us, what you want to do. We want to yield to you. So that person here this morning that's fighting, that's battling, that's grabbing the chair right now, Father, I ask that by your spirit that they would be able to make a choice, make a decision of the will to respond to you and allow your spirit to be free to work, to forgive, to work. And it's all because of Jesus. And we praise your holy name.